episode Loaded nine. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, my God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> Austin Eckler. He's making me like I'm some sort of cameo. Like, I'm coming in and go, and out the bag, England to win. And welcome to episode 28 of Loaded Sport, where today we're going to be reviewing the weekend's action, including the start of the Darts Premier League, the start of the Six Nations, and continuing to look at the top side of the Premier League. Joining me to go through it are two gents that know quite a bit about it. Unfortunately, though, Sam couldn't make it with us today. He uh, failed a late fitness test, is what we'll say, and hopefully he'll be all ready and set for Thursday when we start to preview the Super Bowl. So, Skin, how are you, mate? Um, I'm even better for you reminding me that it's Super Bowl week. Um, as we always say, Wildcard Weekend is the best weekend of the year. And this Sunday upcoming, the next Sunday in our lives, is the best Sunday of the year. But we'll hold off on talking about that because that is to be previewed and we are here to review. And yeah, I'm very well, mate. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm, I'm glad we're getting towards Super Bowl. The bit that disappoints me is the fact that we've got to wait another seven months for an American football game afterwards. But... It is what it is. Yep. We'll, uh, we'll see. Yeah, what it's, happens. It's, it's killer, mate. It's killer. But it's uh, we, we'll have free agency coming up, which we'll have plenty of talking points. We've got the draft in April, which, as you all know, is my favourite uh, favourite part of being an NFL fan. Weirdly enough, so uh, there's plenty to keep us going during the off season, as always. Absolutely. And uh, Kemp, thanks for joining us. How are you, Mister Dawson? Man with the mic. How are we doing? It's too short for me, that. do not yeah. feel right. It does not feel right. Mm. It's got to be Mr. Dawson, Mr. White went man with the mic. That's the way it goes. But yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not bad. I'm uh, I'm missing Sam. There's a there's a Sam-shaped hole in Loaded Sport at the moment. But, it's a fucking you know, sexy hole, that. Yeah, but that's a hole that, you know, hopefully will get filled this week. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, del- I'm delightful, Adam. How are you, mate? I'm I'm good, thank you. I'm I'm glad you're keeping the comedy going uh, in his absence. So it's all good to all good to see. To. Uh, we'll start by talking about news that was released on Monday, and that is the dismissal of yet another Premier League manager. As Leeds United announced that they were parting ways with Jesse Marsh um, after less than 12 months in charge, Leeds fourth bottom of the Premier League at the moment and in risk of dropping into relegation after what was a successful start in their Premier League uh, return. They then struggled last season and they're struggling again this season. Kemp, I'm going to come to you first for this just because I see a little bit of a relation between how things went with Sheffield United. I don't want to touch too much of a nerve, but of course, managerial departure, tried to change things. Do you think Leeds have made the right decision or do you think it's a little bit too late? Yeah, they've definitely made the right decision, in my opinion. Um, Jesse Marsh, I think the the biggest thing that went against him in the end or one of the big things that went against him in the end was you know his press conferences were you know it started to get a bit weird with him to be honest you know I heard him come out saying that they weren't in a relegation fight um which is just you know you look at it and think what you know he said I think he said we're not even halfway through the season yet and it's like you know it's just strange it's like are you do you know where you are do you know what you're doing like do you know who you are and, and, what, and what your job is so I'm not surprised that it happened I think it was the right call but I think it was the right call if they've got somebody lined up and obviously Sean Darch has gone to Everton he would have been the, the um, optimal choice for trying to retain a Premier League status and I'm sure we'll touch on Sean Darch's first game in a little bit but yes yeah it's it's the right decision but who are they going to bring in is the biggest question because it's all well and good getting rid of a manager. But, you know, Sheffield United, you mentioned it there, you know, we got rid of Chris Wilder and then it was, 
you know, it was hecky on an interim basis and it just, it, you know, we didn't have a plan. Um, so, you know, as, as, a, as a Sheffield United fan, do I want to see Leeds go down? Yeah, I'd love it. <laughs> but, you know, from a Leeds fan's perspective, um, hopefully they've got a plan to replace him and hopefully they've got a plan to stay in the Premier League. And there's been a number of different managers linked with it already. Naturally, that's going to happen. One of which is Marcelo Bielsa. Um, I probably butchered happening. that name even well, no, even not, even it's still. Not, yeah, it's not happening. It's not happening. It, it, he had a well-known fallout with the players, a well-known fallout with the board. Um, he, he's not going back there. I think you know he's a strange one, Bielsa. I mean. You know, going into Everton, saying that he needed a, a year with under twenty threes, and then he'd take over next year. He's a yeah. he's a strange guy, and I mean, they got rid of him for a reason initially. You know, he played unbelievable football when they first came into the Premier League. It was very exciting, which was annoying to admit, but uh, he's definitely not not the man for a relegation dogfight. You know, you definitely need somebody you know, who, who can come in and shore things up and calm things down and, and sort of get you over the line. And I think Bielsa's definitely a, a manager for a title charge, but maybe not a manager for a relegation scrap yeah. in a weird sort of way. So, yeah, I, th- I think the favourite at the moment is Carlos Carbaran. I was just going to mention him and asking about him. Yeah, who was the Leeds under-23s manager. And then he went to Huddersfield and then Olympiacos. And now he's at West Brom. Yeah. So yeah. I think he's doing a I think he's doing a pretty decent job at West Brom to be fair after oh, he's what he's yeah. around the mess that Steve Bruce made there. So yeah, I, I think that's that's a natural fit. I don't I, you know Leeds aren't going to have a problem paying the compensation for for him and and you know him coming through and, and I think he won the you know a couple of youth competitions with with the Leeds under twenty threes as well. So I think it's a natural fit. He knows the style. He knows the club. Um, so you know all the best to him if he does end up taking the job, which looks like he is going to be. So. And with... I suppose it just comes. Sorry, I okay, go on. No, go on, you're right. I was just going to say. I suppose it comes down to the fact that he has only recently joined West Brom. It's it's a bit of a quick turnaround into. That was all I was going to say, mate. Carry on. I was going to say, with the transfer window now closed, I'll ask you this one first. Do you think that regardless of what manager comes in, the squad that Leeds have got at the moment is good enough to keep them in the Premier League for at least another year? It's hard to say, isn't it? It's such a, a tight race at, at the bottom to to survive in the Premier League this season. I think we are in for a bit of an all-timer relegation battle. Uh, they're currently 17th. They're level on points with Everton. They're three points off the bottom, but they're also only six points off of 12th. So that's how close it is with that sort of bottom, what, eight sides. So really anything can happen. But you look at the teams around them, Bournemouth and Southampton, although very close to getting out of relegation, I'm not seeing anything to suggest either of them will get out. Everton, which we'll get into, you know, have made recent changes that at the very, very start of it look positive. Teams like West Ham, Leicester, you know, they look to be finding a bit of form and, and should get out or get away from that fight. Forest, who were looking terrible a few games ago, they're currently second in the Premier League form table, so they seem to have found a bit about them. So, yeah, that sort of spot could come bet- come down to a team like Leeds and maybe a Wolves, someone like that. So, yeah, I- I'm not really sure how their squad stands out from the other teams around them because a lot of teams around them, like your Everton's, like your West Ham's, like your Wolves, like your Leicester's, like your Forest, who had 29 players in the summer, I'd probably put their overall squads above them. So, yes, it's a strange time to, you know, drop the manager 
what a few days after the transfer windows open. They're playing Man United in back-to-back games now, Wednesday and Sunday. So a little bit strange that they've left it till now. And yeah, they've got to be uh, they've got to be slightly worried about what the next sort of eighteen games uh, have in store for them. You make a good point there, Dawson, in the sense that they got rid of him just before back-to-back Man United games, and they've got Everton after that, and then Southampton after that. Yeah. So, you know, if you if you keep Jesse Marsh for these last couple of games, you know, take a bit of time to make sure that you're getting the next, you know, the right guy in when you do sack him ultimately, because, you know, Jesse Marsh probably wasn't going to get, you know, a point against those, you know, in those games against Manchester United. And then you've got Everton away, who obviously have been bad, but, you know, is there going to be a renaissance under Deitch and Southampton who are absolutely pitiful? So you get a new manager in there and the new manager bounce, that's, that's maybe six points, you know, six really important points to hopefully keep you up. So the timing, I think, like you mentioned there, Dawson, is the strangest aspect of it. The fact that they've got rid of him, I don't think is strange, but when they did it is a little bit questionable, unless... They've got Corberan lined up and ready to go already and he'll be in situ by the time that they play the game. You never know. Even if that is the case, massive games against Everton and Southampton aside, the two games against Man United, they could announce him tomorrow. In terms of a coaching aspect and tactics and things like that, it's not, he's not really going to... Gonna... No, he's not going to be able yeah. to teach him anything that they don't <laughs> already so it's know. Gonna, it's going to be a rough week, isn't it, for, for Leeds yeah, ahead, I think. Is. It is, and I think the idea may be to get the assistant in for this weekend, or I think one of uh, Jesse Marsh's coaches, um, maybe get him in for a, for an interim basis. I think it's a guy that was under Ranyik at United, and they were calling him Ted Lasso. Yeah, I think he might be taking temporary charge, and then yeah, you know, he's only get, just get come in, anti as well, what, oh, about a week ago. Yeah, like literally a week or so ago, he joined the coaching staff. Oh, so, yeah. well, that's an interesting week in that guy's life. But yeah, <laughs> best of luck. <laughs> best of luck. Well, they do have 18 games left to try and see themselves to safety, regardless of who it is that takes over at Leeds United. Another side with 18 games left of their season is Liverpool. They are 10th at the moment. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and I might get a couple of uh, insults about the fact that I'm asking this question, because he helped Liverpool win the Premier League. But we're talking about managerial departures, and we talk about how there's not a lot of patience in football anymore and keeping managers for long period of times. Jurgen Klopp, with Liverpool in 10th place at the moment. They are struggling. They lost to Wolves. Before that, they lost to Brighton. I think they lost a week before to Brighton as well. How long does Jurgen Klopp get at Liverpool before they they maybe consider that enough is enough? And this might be a stupid question, but I'm interested to hear your answers. Relegation. (laughs) Wow, Okay. It's uh, it's, it's, it's the seventh it's, season. Go on, mate. It's clear. Sorry, no, it's it's clear. You know, they, they, <laughs> they can't get rid of Jurgen Klopp. And again, I know what I know exactly what Dawson's going to say, so I'm not going to steal his thunder. But if this is not a manager who's come in and, you know, maybe finished third, fourth, and then, you know, fallen away down to 10th place. Jurgen Klopp's won everything there is to win with Liverpool. He won the first Premier League title for Liverpool in 30 years. Um, they're not going to sack him. They can't sack him. The board are already under pressure because they've not invested in the fans' eyes enough as they, they possibly should have. So getting rid of the best manager that Liverpool have had definitely, definitely since the 80s, maybe of all time. Um, I know a lot of Liverpool fans will probably disagree, and I don't think I'd agree with that either, but me saying it, but you know, some people will hold that opinion. And you know, getting rid of him at this time, I think it would be um, disastrous, and I don't think it will ever happen unless, like I say, you know, they get, they're in danger of getting relegated. It's uh, it's very strange. I mentioned it in the entire about teams around them 
maybe not necessarily in the league table at the moment, but in terms of where you'd expect them to finish, we're strengthening midfield. Chelsea, we know, spent a lot of money. Arsenal did, United did, and they're screaming out for sort of a midfield linchpin with a lot of their current players now aging and past their prime. So, yeah, Klopp can't be happy. I, I just mentioned it there, the seventh season syndrome of, of Jurgen Klopp. If you look at all the teams he's managed in his career, no matter how well they've done, he, he hits the seventh season, they seem to take a massive sort of, well, I don't know, just dive off a cliff, really. And, and there were a bit of talk about it, of watch out for this Liverpool this season, and obviously, oh no, they're too good and blah, blah, blah. But actually... It turns out that maybe it is a thing. So, yeah, talks about selling hasn't really gone anywhere, has it? I've not seen anybody linked with buying them or progressing talks or anything whatsoever. So I don't know what that looks like for their summer and the potential spending there and what they can do to make sure next season's better than this one. I don't really know. It seems to be a very strange time. Um at Liverpool at the minute um, and not a great time to be a Liverpool fan and a great one to uh, be a fan of anyone else watching them uh, decline a little bit so that's probably all I'll say on the matter but yeah very very strange I think the, the I think what Klopp definitely is culpable for and what he's done that, that he potentially shouldn't have is he's been very very loyal to a lot of players who yeah. let's be honest have done very well for him but, yeah. you know, you look at them, people have waxed lyrical about these midfielders for, you know, it's a boring conversation at this point because everybody knows the linchpin and, and the problem that, that Liverpool have. But to, to play the way that they want to play, you've got to have active midfielders who can yeah. drop into those full-back positions because the, the wing-backs go flying forward. Trent and Robbo always go flying forward to help out the forwards, putting crosses into the box. So you need active forwards that one minute can be on the edge of the box, on the opponent's box, next minute can be stood at left-back covering. So yeah. the fact that he's not renewed and got some fresh legs in that midfield, you know, is it Klopp being too loyal? Is it FSG not giving them any money? But again, you know, they, they signed both. Well, yeah, but they signed Gakpo and, yeah. you know, could they not have spent that £35 million on another midfielder? You know, he probably wouldn't in this market have been a world-class midfielder, but, you know, a midfielder all the same. And you look at the performances of some of those players at the weekend. Matip, oh my word. You know, Van Dijk's not been at it. I know he's injured, but before he was injured, he wasn't at it. Joe Gomez is an absolute train wreck. You know, the midfield's just a, a, a mess. And it's just... It's it's crazy how one thing seemingly not strengthening the midfield has just led to to so many problems up and down that pitch. But you know they're going to give him time. They're not going to sack him. He's he's unsackable. You know I think like I say unless he takes him into a really really dangerous place. Um, but you know they'll have to just see out the season. They've got nothing to play for. Hopefully sign a few players and, and see what you know see where they get on next season. Yeah, I just want to put on record that I, I agree. I don't think that he should be sacked and I think it's going to take a lot for him to be sacked. But I've seen uh, posted in places some Liverpool fans, you're always going to get some fans that are a little bit fickle, aren't you, that say, oh yeah, get rid of him, always. that sort of stuff. Um, so I just wanted your lad's opinion. I think so. the concern, I think the concern if I was a Liverpool fan were, is he going to walk? I wouldn't be concerned about sacking him. I would be concerned about him walking. Because, you know, with all this situation regarding FSG, you know, it's letting him down. You know, does he does he need it? He's probably got a lot of money in his bank. He's he's very successful at Liverpool. It's gonna take him it's gonna be a massive job to rebuild them again after, you know, the, the, the performances this season. They obviously need a lot of players. You know, does he need it? Does he need that stress in his life? I don't know. So 
that's what I would be concerned with if I was a Liverpool fan rather than, you know, are we going to sack him? Yeah, okay, that, that that's a fair comment. Um, so we move across Merseyside to talk about a new managerial um, input, and that is that of Sean Dyche. As his Everton side put to an end um, 11 games without um, a win by beating Arsenal by a goal to nil, and it's tough for me to say that, but at the same time, I'm, I'm a little bit elated as well because I'm happy to see that the Sean Dyche effect is coming in uh, quite early. So uh, Everton beating Arsenal by a goal to nil to some... That may have come as a bit of a surprise. And I heard that um, this is the stat that I saw that I think is an incredible stat to have. That this is the lowest amount of points Everton have had after this number of games in any season they've been involved in since teams were started uh, to be given three points for a win. So that should indicate just how bad Everton's season has been. So we said before about the potential of Everton coming out of relegation. Dawson, what do you think of the performance that Everton put in against Arsenal and the likelihood that Dyche could get them out of trouble? <laughs> He's a fucking man, isn't he? <laughs> He's the fucking man. When we when Lampard got sacked, or even before he got sacked, we were we were talking about who could potentially come in and save the season, and, and Dyche was the man we settled on. He's dogged. He's tactical. Is brilliant. I, I've said it before. I've mentioned on this pod, but I've said it in previous conversations. I always thought that he could do well with a bit of money behind him, with a bit of a better calibre. I've seen quite a bit of his coaching masterclass that he's done, and yeah, he's absolutely brilliant. And look, it's one game. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. They could go on a three-match winless streak now and, and still be right in the thick of it. But what a start! You get your first game against top of the table. And his tactic, what was it in the uh, match of the day, post-match interview? The tactic was to stop them putting the ball in the net and try and put um, one in theirs. And that's exactly what they did. They scored from a set piece with a big centre-back, the ex-Burnley man, uh, who obviously Dice is going to know very well. And, and the, yeah, they absolutely nailed it. So what a start for the bloke. What a guy, what a man. Um, I'm sure he was absolutely chuffed. And if that doesn't inject a bit of enthusiasm and confidence into that dressing room and really pump them up for the next couple of months, then I don't know what will. And is it a surprise to you that he was relying on two ex-Burnley players to, to combine for that goal? Dwight McNeil getting the assist and Tarkovsky scoring? No, absolutely not. You, you, What is it, Kemp, when, when your back's against the wall, when you need some help, you look to those that you know you can trust. Yeah. And, uh, they're, yeah. they're the ones that uh, he can do yeah. that with. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you, you can not only from from a from a manager's perspective, you know, Darch relying on those players that he knows he can trust, you know, with his back against the wall and with Everton's backs against the wall. But it, Everton, you know, I, I've only seen the highlights of the game, admittedly, but even from what I saw. You know, they seemed like they trusted Dyche. They seemed like they yeah. trusted the, the 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 you know the game plan and and what they were trying to achieve and what they were trying to do, and the the confidence they were playing with. You know, they, they were they were stroking the ball around like nobody's business. It was not absolutely night and day from Everton performances that I've seen before. Again, all bitterly, you know, albeit extended highlights, but you know what what a turnaround already to, to win that game against an Arsenal team that's been absolutely red hot. Um, what I like about Sean Dyche the most is what I, you know, what he said in his post-match interview. You know, he was talking about, oh, ever, you know, what, what a result, unbelievable, unbelievable. And he, and honestly, he, he sat there, and again, I'm paraphrasing, and he said, yeah, we played really well. You know, we got, we did what we wanted to do. We did what we expected to do. We're in Monday, and it's just, you know, Everton have been in such a bad 
place in such bad form. You know, they, they play against Arsenal, who've been, you know, absolutely firing on all cylinders. Sean Dyche comes in, classic, you know, Sean Dyche performance, 1-0. Ex- expected goals, you know, like 0. 0.5 or whatever it <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and in his post-match interview says, we're in Monday. And that's the attitude that, you know, if, if you're in the, the scrap, if you're in the shit, if you're in a dogfight, who do you want belong, you know, beside you? And you know Sean Dyche is is number one, number one with a bullet. Maybe maybe next to Neil Warnock. <laughs> Aggie, I know it is going to be slightly bittersweet this very particular result because you do hold Sean Dyche very close to your heart for obvious reasons, being a Chesterfield fan and him being a Chesterfield legend. But it is uh, yet again you face the scorn of uh, not getting your lock right, which we'll get into later. But we gave you shit for backing Arsenal away early kickoff and all that kind of stuff. What what do you think about the result and, and Dyche and Everton moving forward? I think like you've already mentioned that it, it's typical Dyche football, isn't it? Soak up the pressure, hit him on a counter and try and get it to work. And if that doesn't work, just work from a set piece. And the amount of corners and free kicks that Everton were putting into the box and they got, um, I think Onana was one of them that had won a couple of headers and then Tarkovsky, they, they'd got much better aerial ability than what Arsenal had got. And I think there was multiple occasions where they got very close to getting themselves a goal and just couldn't quite get the finishing touch. And then, of course, Tarkovsky turned up and and got it. And from that point, it's just defend and make sure that they don't put one in the back of the net. And I know I talk about Gabby Jesus quite a bit, but without him, I think Arsenal may have lacked that little bit that they needed uh, pushing forward against Everton in the final third just to try and get themselves over the line and maybe get a point out of it. Yeah, you're right. I lost my lock because of it. But I'm I'm going to be honest. I said from the very beginning that Sean Dyche was the guy for Everton and I'm I'm going to stand by it. I did think that they'd lose to Arsenal, but I still thought that he'd he'd keep them up if that makes sense. So I'll I'll take the grief from obviously the lock, but at the same time, there's more than just one game that makes a season. So. Very, to... very quick question before we move on to our next team. This is for both of you. Yeah. When Jesus is back and fit, him or Nketiah up top? At 100%, I think you've got to go Jesus. I think Nketiah's done well since he's come in and he's handled the the pressure quite well to try and keep up with what Jesus has been doing for Arsenal. But I think Jesus does so much more off the ball that I think he can support Martinelli and Saka much better than what Nketiah does. So I think for me, it's got to be Jesus. Kemp? Gabby Jesus, Eddie Nketiah, yeah, he's coming to the squad. He's done really well. You know, he's he's, he's a good lad by all accounts. You know, he's a, he's a really nice kid to have around the dressing room again by everything that I've heard. And obviously you see bits about him on, on the Amazon Prime documentary that they did. And he seems like a really nice kid. But yeah, he's, he's, he's he does a lot less than Gabriel Jesus does for that team, in my opinion. I think the vast majority of your goals in that team... It sounds weird, but they don't come from your striker. They come from Martinelli and they come from Saka coming in off the wings and 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 creating chances there. And you know, midfielders maybe on the edge of the box. So that striker role, obviously, you know, you're expected to put the ball in the back of the net. You know, that goes without saying. But a lot of what that role requires to do is is drop in a little bit and create, and maybe that false nine position is what what they're looking for. And and it's obvious that you know Gabriel Jesus fits that description better than um better better than Eddie Nketiah does. But you know he's a great option to have off the bench. And um, fair play to him. I thought when Gabriel Jesus got injured, it was going to be you know that's curtains for Arsenal. But Nketiah has stepped up to be fair to him. And uh, yeah, I think he will be unfortunate to lose his position. But you know you can't look past Gabriel Jesus when he is fit. Yeah. Skin, what's your thoughts on that? You've asked us the question. Would you say the same? 
Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, when Unketi first came into the squad, he was absolutely brilliant, weren't he? And it would have been harsh. But I think this last couple of days, he's just quietened down a little bit, which probably perfect timing for Jesus coming back. So yeah, I'd start him over Unketi once he uh, once he's fit. Okay, uh, talking next about Manchester City, second in the Premier League at the moment. By the time they kicked off against Tottenham, they already knew that Arsenal had fallen to defeat against Everton and it was an excellent opportunity for them to close the gap to just two points despite the fact that Arsenal had a game in hand. However, the performance, the players' focus, the mentality, whatever the reason is, Manchester City just didn't quite turn up to the game against Tottenham. They fell to a 1-0 defeat and instead of them closing the gap on Arsenal... They allowed their nearby neighbours, Manchester United, to close the gap on them. Kemp, I'm going to come to you first for this one. Uh, Manchester City against Tottenham. The performance wasn't quite there. They're your boys. You think they're going to win the Premier League. <laughs> I want your boys. thoughts on it. Your boys. Yeah, um, it's it's a strange club at the minute, isn't it? Yeah, obviously. Oh, strange with, is the word. Yeah. with I with, feel like strange doesn't actually do it justice. I don't know what else. I don't know what other yeah. way to describe chaos. Yeah. Maybe, um, yeah. yeah. Obviously, there's the off the field stuff that that was you know come to light today about them breaching financial fair play rules. You know, because the Premier League wants to kind of stave off the independent regulator that, that's been looks like it's going to be recommended after the independent fan led review in football. Um, are the Premier League going to throw the book at Man City and drop them points or, you know, relegate them or take league titles off them? You know, at this point, nobody knows. I don't think it will be as extreme as that. I'm looking forward to speaking to Sam about about it when he's back because I know he holds a, a slightly different opinion. But, yeah, on the pitch, um, dropping De Bruyne, you know, is he trying to make some sort of statement? You know, have we got some stinky attitudes in that dressing room? Nobody wants to pass the ball to Haaland. You know, he's probably the best goal scorer in the world and no one's put the ball to him. It's yeah. um, it's a very, very strange scenario. And yes, I have backed Manchester City to win the league. I'm still backing Manchester City to win the league. I'm not changing that. Obviously, if they do get a massive points deduction, then I'll probably get my opinion somewhat. <laughs> You're still I'm, going, no, there's enough time stubborn. for him to point back. I'm not going to be that stubborn. But yeah, again, there's still a bit of time to go. Um, I think... Pep, maybe you know you've made you know you've made your point. You know, get get De Bruyne back on that page because he's the only person that can find Haaland. So yeah, yeah it, it's it was a very strange performance. When I saw the team sheet, I, I, I kind of thought that was the way it was going to go. To be honest, um, but very very strange. And uh, yeah, they are going to have to get the shit in you know get the shit in order very very quickly if they want to be going for that title. Um, but yeah, very weird. What do you think about it, Adam? I'll go back to I'll fire it straight back to you. What do you think about City at the moment? I think it's a very odd one, but when you've got so many big characters, so many players that are that talented, egos are going to have to play a part at, at some point. And I think Guardiola's done well in the past with like your Barcelona's. And I think the Manchester City side that he had before, when he had the likes of Aguero company and even Yaya Torre during those times, he didn't have too many players that were egotistical and would, would try and put themselves above what, what the club's trying to do. Yes, they had Balotelli and eventually he moved on and I think that, that speaks volumes of what they were trying to do. But then you look at Haaland, we know he's great. We know he's got the potential to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest players of all time. We know De Bruyne can find a needle in a haystack, let alone a pass to Haaland. So he's incredible with the ball at his feet. 
I think it's just a case of you've got to keep everybody level-headed and remember what Manchester City are trying to do. And I think the fact that Cancelo struggled and then he's gone, I think that was an example of what Guardiola was trying to show to the players that, look, similar to what Ferguson did with Beckham in, in that time when Beckham felt that maybe he'd got bigger than the club. I don't know if that's exactly what Cancelo said, but something obviously happened behind the scenes. Yeah, maybe... I think, yeah the story was, just on Cancelo before you carry on, just yeah. to provide a bit of context, is that he decided not to play him um, against maybe Arsenal. It was Arsenal, and, I think, what we spoke yeah, about last week, yeah, didn't we? Yeah, and um, because of that, I think he said, you know, I, I deserve to be playing or, or something along those lines. And I think that kind of pricked Pep's ears up to say, you know, nobody, you know, you don't you don't get in there on merit. And I think that's kind of what instigated it from what I'm hearing. Obviously, he'd, he'd not, we he'd not played there, but... for the previous three or four games. So I think that was just the last straw where it was like, right, if you're yeah, just going to keep yeah. not playing me or giving me 20 minutes, I, I don't want to be here. But, but again, there must be underlying problems in that respect. You know, he must have had a maybe a bit of a bad attitude. His form obviously hasn't been where it was last season. You know, last season he was, you know, probably the best fullback in the league. Um yeah, go, sorry, go, carry on, Adam. But yeah, the Cancelo one was weird. I'm glad you've pointed that out because I think that, again, adds a bit more to what Manchester City are doing because how often do you look at the Manchester City side and say they're struggling for depth? You don't. At the moment, they might be struggling a little bit for centre-halves or injuries and, and things crop up here and there. But in general, Manchester City, since Guardiola came in, has been known for a side that rotates quite a lot and they don't see many players that are always given like the first name on the team sheet, yes, De Bruyne and, and uh, Haaland are potentially an ex- exception for that at the moment. But even during the likes, I'm going to say Aguero again and Sterling and, and company, those sort of players, they didn't play every game. They had little breaks here and there. There were a couple of times where you see the likes of uh, David Silva and Gundogan not even starting. And that's what Manchester City do. They've got a squad that's that big that's that good, that they can afford to swap players around. And I think that might have just been like a little ego thing for Cancelo. And then Guardiola's used that as an example to say, look, you can move on. And look, lads, this is this is exactly what you're not supposed to do. I'll keep rotating the squad, but no one's name is automatically on that team sheet. And well, that's the problem that you've got now. You know, you, you mentioned there uh, strength in depth. And that's always something that, you know, City have been really good for. You know, they've been able to play teams in like, let's say, for example, the Carabao Cup. And it's like unrecognisable that like, all these players and they're still unbelievable. I think at one time they had like three first teams, which was just incredible. But now you look at their depth at left back. You know, they, they sold Sinjenko to Arsenal. You know, Cancelo's gone. Um, what? You know, you, yes, you've got Rico Lewis, but what you know, Naake, maybe who can cover at left back. You know, it's 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 really disconcerting if you're, you know, because the reason that I thought City were going to breeze the league is because going down the stretch, you know, their squad depth is, you know, miles better than Arsenal's. And while Arsenal have had a few injuries and obviously they they've struggled a little bit, obviously last week, um, you know, this weekend just gone, you know, City are. You know, they don't look much better in those defensive positions in terms of depth. So, yeah, it's very unlike Man City, as you say there, Adam. And I'd, I'd be intrigued to see how Pep deals with it because you know he's not got a transfer window now. So, what what are you going to do? Did um, did either of you lads see Carragher's comments on on Harland and him potentially making the wrong move by going to City? No, no, but no. Sounds interesting. To be fair, so. I'm, obviously, this isn't going to be for verbatim, and I might get it a little bit wrong, but basically, he was saying that 
Haaland is an unbelievable player and he joined an unbelievable team or were an unbelievable team at the point of joining. And yes, he scored 25 goals already, which is absolutely phenomenal. But City as a team at this point have scored the same amount of goals that they scored last season. And also he what he said was that we're, we're only seeing 60% of what Haaland is capable of because of City's style of play, because it is very much possession-based, you know, slowly build up the pitch, pass it around the edge of the box and then find that pass from, say, a KDB or whoever, which Parland is unbelievable to be in the right um, right position because if you see a lot of his goals this season, it is, you know, six yards out, eight yards out, ten yards out because of the style of football that they play where he said he was so dominant at Dortmund because of the style of play in Germany. It was, was counter-attacking, it was end-to-end. City aren't built to play end-to-end football. Their team is and, and their players aren't capable of doing that. So it was quite interesting how he said it and the fact that he said that, yes, he's unbelievable and he scored 25 goals, which is incredible, but City as a team have scored the same amount of goals at this point last season as well. And he's not getting to play to his full potential because a lot of the teams are playing you know, sort of part of the bus tactics and the, it's a lot of possession and passing it around the box type thing. So I thought it was quite interesting. And to be fair, I do actually think he had a point in terms of our City the best team to get the best out of a player like Erling Haaland. You have got to take into account as well, though, the the, the defensive lines in the um, in the Bundesliga. You know, they, it's, 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 it's laughable at times, you know, how, yeah. how high of a line that they play and how slow some of their fullbacks are to track back. Um, It it is laughable at times. So I I do understand what he's saying in in a sense, because it's such a, you know, it's such a um, disparaging, you know, play style to what they, to what they were doing last season, where they they played a false nine. They didn't play a recognised striker. You know, goals came from all over the pitch. Everybody, you know, contributed and obviously they won the league. Um, So it it was a very, very big departure from that. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think it's a case of, you know, was it a little bit too much too soon? Did they need maybe a bit of a transition period where, you know, they they maybe, and it's difficult because you have to move on players like that when they're available or when they look like they're going to come available because somebody else will have taken it. There's no question about that. So, you know, how do you work on that one? But, you know, from what Carragher said there, I get it. I understand. But, he did score God knows how many goals in his first, you know, few appearances. So yeah, it's a tricky one, but I get it. I do get it. I'm going to ask you this question, moving on to Manchester City's opponent skin. I did ask you as a bit of a heads up that I was going to ask you this question and you shot it straight down. So I'd like a little bit more context <laughs> as to the reason why. Um, okay. Harry Kane's goal against Manchester City makes him only the third player in Premier League history to reach 200 goals. He's getting closer to Alan Shearer's record. He's now even closer to Wayne Rooney's, of course, as well. So a lot of people, when asked for their Premier League eleven, they don't include Harry Kane. Is this a big statement? And do you think now a lot of people will change their eleven to maybe include Harry Kane on the back of it? No. Next. <laughs> Would you? That's the answer I gave you before. And it I is. will give you the additional context that, that you're after. is Because, yes, he scored a lot of goals. Yes, he's got a lot of assists. Yes, if he joined a Man United, he's going to score 20, 25 goals. But the difference is is that he's not a winner. I would put Shearer above him, who is, as you know, the top scorer in Premier League history, and he won a Premier League. I would put your Henri's, your Rooney's, your Burkamp's. I, I, could, I could probably get five or six, maybe even seven strikers that I would put above Kane. Uh, and that's just, they're just a few off the top of my head that I would put above him. No, I, w- I wouldn't. If if we're playing with two strikers, absolutely not. 
And if we're playing with one striker and then with two wingers, then absolutely definitely not. So, no, yes, he scored a lot of goals, but he's not a winner. He's had the opportunity to leave Tottenham. He's not won a trophy in his career other than, what was it, an Audi Cup or something, whatever it was. He's had the chance. He didn't take it. He's potentially got a chance upcoming in the summer with a lot of rumours about him moving to United and him being their number one uh, summer transfer target. But time will tell. But until he starts actually winning stuff, no, there's a hell of a lot of players I put in my Premier League eleven over him. Okay, no, that that's uh, that's fair enough. Uh, Kemp, your your thoughts? Would you maybe include Harry Kane in yours? Uh, absolutely not. No? But the 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 context there is. I sort of get what Dawson's saying. It doesn't help that he's played for Spurs. <laughs> you know, Spurs haven't won anything in God knows how long. But yeah, um, he's scored a lot of goals. His goals per minute ratio is is very, very good. I think he scored 200 goals now in, in the league for Tottenham in 301 appearances, perhaps, or something yeah, like that. that yeah. So he, he's definitely on his way and he's got a few, you know, he's got a few good years left in him just yet. And will he break Shearer's record? You know, you, you don't know. Um, the, th- the thing is, and the problem with that is that there have been so many unbelievably world-class strikers and personalities that you're struggling to get him in and you give Henri the first, you know, number one with a bullet is the best player to ever play in the Premier League, in my opinion. Um, he is there a hundred percent. And then you look at someone like Alan Shearer that, you know, 260 goals, um, never been even close to being beaten. I think, you know, one of the closest was Rooney and that was 208 or something like that. And, yeah. and Kane is, like I say, he's well on his way. But the difference is with Alan Shearer, you know, yes, they're both captains and I think they're both leaders, but I don't know, it just seems a little bit different. Maybe it's a different era. Maybe players are different now. Their personalities are different. But Alan Shearer, you know, he he, he, he dragged Newcastle through the 2000s. <laughs> Newcastle, were, Newcastle were Alan Shearer in that period. And while he didn't win anything with Newcastle or anything of significance at all with Newcastle, you know, he did win the Premier League with Blackburn. And, you know, he, he, he was Mr. Newcastle. He had that personality. And I don't know. I don't know if it's just a, a character thing with Harry Kane. I don't know if it's, like Dawson said, because he's not a winner. It's, you know, mentality. Because his mentality is unbelievable. You know, he, he, he abstains from alcohol. You know, he eats clean as hell. You know, he's, he's a really disciplined guy. But... Has he got that X factor, you know, to take himself to the next level? Do you know yeah. what it is? He's a little. I might be a bit extreme here, but I'm I'm trying to sort of put my finger on why. Because you're right, Shearer did absolute bits at Newcastle, and and he didn't win anything with them. So what's the difference? Even though he did win elsewhere, but Kane's a bit of a big game and a big moment bottle job, isn't he? And oh, absolutely. I, he gives me the impression, and obviously I don't know him, and I could be completely wrong. A lot of people could disagree with me on this, but I feel like he'd rather be the main man at Tottenham and not win anything than part of a team of players that are on his level or better. But elsewhere. then he comes out. But yeah, but then he comes out and interviews Neville and says that he wants to move on and win stuff. And it's you know you don't know. Is he saying that? just to try and force a big move. I, I, I don't know. It's a strange one. And I can't quite put my finger on why I would have him so far away from my start, you know, from my, my yeah, two strikers in my Premier League 11. 
but I'm but I would have him very far away from my two strikers in my Premier League eleven. So just I'll have a think about it, Adam, and I'll come back to you as to why. <laughs> do you, Do you think he realizes he's running out of time because he had he has had the opportunities before? Like Kemp, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago about the heavy links to Chelsea, and he was almost there. City. Do, do you think City. City? Sorry, yeah, City. Yeah. Do you think he now realizes that he is getting a bit older? Tottenham still aren't winning. They're not close to winning anything this season, and he really is. Obviously, the World Cup will have had a bit of an effect on him as well with what happened against France. So, is he? I, th- I think he panicking I a bit. Think, no, I tell you what. I think now. I think he's accepted it. I think he is quite comfortable, like you've just said, being Spurs' top goal scorer ever being the top Premier League goal scorer ever, that's something that he'll definitely want to achieve. And, you know, I I don't know. I feel like he may, and I might be wrong, but I feel like he may want to win, you know, want that accolade, the top goal scorer ever, than the Premier League. You know, yeah. I feel like he might, you might be right on that. You might have, you know, hit onto a good point. He might want to just be the big fish in the small pond. Aggie, what do you think? Because you're the one that keeps bringing up this question and not pushing the agenda as such, but you're the one that keeps bringing up the conversation. I can only assume you'd put him in your Premier League eleven. Surprisingly not, no. Um, I wouldn't. I just (laughs) thought it'd be interesting to hear people's opinions because a lot of people see it as like your Rooney's, your Armies, your Van Nistelrooy's, those kind of players that can get into your your eleven as a striker. And then nobody even batters an eyelid at Harry Kane. And I just thought, what? What do you guys feel that he's got to do to really put himself within that conversation? But I think you're right. He's he's played plenty more games than a lot of, of players that do make it into the eleven. Yes, he's got to that 200, but is he missing that chance to, to really win anything? And I think if he doesn't take this potential move to Manchester United in the summer, that window might be, be gone for So him. that's what takes him to that next level. If he goes to Manchester United, carries on scoring at the same rate of knots, Man United win the Premier League and it's it's the Cantona effect when Harry Kane comes in and he's just that one more chess piece that they need to win the Premier League for after you know after God knows how many years of not winning it. That was exactly what Cantona was. Cantona was that one yeah. last chess piece that he needed, that Ferguson needed to to get that first Premier League over the line. And he got it. And is that going to be the same with Eric Ten Hag? Is he going to bring Kane in? And is he going to be the catalyst for Man United winning the Premier League? And you know what? If that does happen, he's a he's a damn sight closer to that conversation than he is now, in my opinion. But it, I struggle to put somebody in that category, no matter how many goals they've scored, if they've never won major silverware. And that maybe, you know, I, I, might, I might be biased with that or whatever people might want to call me, but, you know, I don't give a shit, <laughs> to be honest. Can I, um, can I, before we move on to the next subject, end on a potentially hot take? Okay. I would put Jamie Vardy over Harry Kane in my Premier League all-time 11. Now, that is a very hot take and one that I vehemently disagree with, but we really haven't got time to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I said it ended on a hot take, so no, That's a go. scalding hot take, yeah, fair enough. Right, just before we do move on to discuss the opening weekend of the Six Nations and, of course, the opening night of the Premier League, um, we are going to look at the locks and the wild cards. Uh, Kemp, I believe you're going to do us the honours in the absence of Sam before Skin gives us the listener locking results. I am, um, yeah. Down. Yeah, unfortunately, as we've mentioned, Mr. White uh, cannot join us this evening. He's, he's, he's like Adam said, he's, he, he failed a late fitness test. So I'm going to go through, I'm going to fill in for him where I can. And go through our locks, our scorers, and our wild cards of the week. So, 
Our locks, first of all, we had Mr. Dawson, who went with Middlesbrough, Michael ah, Carrick's yeah. Middlesbrough, and he has ah, been yeah. very uh, supportive of Middlesbrough over the past few weeks, and he was right to be so this week as they came in for him, winning their game. We move now to Mr. Marston, <laughs> the man with the mic. Adam was going to edit edit us talking the about this. Yeah. The man with no brain. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he went with Arsenal away at Everton. Um, the early kickoff, the away fixture, something that if you're a betting man, you absolutely never do. <laughs> it's a cardinal sin. Uh, but but Adam went with it anyway. And I think, Adam, like you said earlier, you had a free hit because if Arsenal won, you won your lock. And if, and if Everton won, your boy Sean Dyche, you know, got his first win as Everton manager. So, unfortunately, Arsenal didn't win. What a shock. Um, Sam went with Bolton Wanderers, who won their game. And Darley, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Just about, just about in the end, but just about is enough for Sam to get the tick. And I went with Sam's Derby County, who I believe... Scraped it, didn't they? 5-0, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was. 1-0 at half-time, wasn't Goldrick. it? It was, yeah. David McGoldrick hat-trick. So, Mate, so annoying as well, because <laughs> Didzy was on my shot. He was down to my final three for my scorer. And yeah. I was like, uh, I was, yeah, so annoyed I didn't go with that. But fair play to him. Was that three hat-tricks in seven I, games, eight I, games? I've, I've heard, crazy I've like heard that. something like that, yeah. And you know what? I, I love David McGoldrick. Obviously, I'm a Sheffield United fan. And David yeah. McGoldrick, was a, he's, a, he's a cult hero down at Bramall Lane. Probably the most value for a transfer we've ever got, bringing him in on a free. And he was a an absolute workhorse for us. But... Yeah, I think League One's his level, to be quite honest. And obviously, yeah, he's thriving at that level. So, yeah, bless him, David McGoldrick. What a hero. Um, we move on to the scorers now. Um, Dawson, you had Charles. Dion Charles score. for Bolton. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, Bolton, didn't bag. Yeah, Who Bolton won, but Dion Charles, unfortunately, didn't. Um, Adam, I'm struggling here, mate. Uh, Charlie Austin, I think it was again. Charlie again, Austin, yeah. yeah. You again. say again, he, he, he didn't play yeah. last time because the game got called off. He's, he's mm-hmm. been scoring for Swindon since he came back. It's not like it yeah. was a bad shout. It just seems to happen that he doesn't score when you pick him. Oh, but, mate, that happens you know, for all the players I pick. Who'd have thought it? Hey, who'd have thought can, it? Can, can um, we just also very quickly well, highlight the main no, point? No, no, we don't need to mention that. So Ooh. Swindon scored one goal at the weekend. <laughs> Okay. Um, Charlie Austin got subbed off in the 90th minute and about 40 seconds later, the player that came on scored a goal. So, oh, wow. So Charlie a, Austin would have scored if he'd not been substituted. <sighs> oh, uh, well, should have, would have, could have means a lot of time. Could have, mate, but, you know, it also means that, you know, you are 0 for 2 so far, Adam, which is uh, pretty standard for you, but we'll At least continue. I'm consistent. Yeah, that's it. And Mr. Sam uh, had Erling Haaland scoring um, away at Tottenham Hotspur. Unfortunately, he didn't, as they lost 1-0. And, yeah, he didn't quite get the service that uh, he probably needed to get a goal. But there you go. And I went with Marcus Rashford, who scored um, quite quite comfortably and emphatically. What's a goal, by the way? Hit. Ten hard yes, ball. Bad, Good call, it? that it as well, Marcus Rashford. Thank you very much. To be quite honest, when I got round to him, I can't remember what order it was in, but I was very surprised that he'd not already gone. Um, but, yeah, there we go. I'll take it. We'll now move on to the wild cards for the week. So, Dawson, you went Burnley. And to be oh, yeah. quite honest, I am very surprised that they were a wild card. But uh, Mate, trust me, I, I was quick were. to take advantage of that. No, no, absolutely. You did right. You did the right thing. And uh, I absolutely trust you in the fact that they were the wild card. And it Just. was a great shout. So, so well done on that one. 
Adam, you, you had Southampton, who this evening I believe their manager is favourite to get sacked, but will <laughs> you know move swiftly on. He wasn't before. Uh, was he not? Right, okay. No, Leeds were. Le- Jesse Marsh, right, yeah. okay. And uh, that's that's why he's now favourite, because Jesse Marsh has been sacked. Right. Um, we now move on to Sam, who uh, went with Wolves. Um, and that, that now looks like a really good pick. Um, again. Oh, great pick. It's, you know, again, why, why did we not all go with that? I can't quite remember what the order was, but... I feel like if you pick against Liverpool at the moment, you're uh, <laughs> you're probably going to win your your prediction. So, so yeah, um, well done, Sam. I um, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed to be honest because I've, I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit shit up with my wild card picks, and yeah. unfortunately this week it it didn't quite happen, and uh, it led to Jesse March uh, getting his marching orders. But I went with Leeds away at Nottingham Forest. It was a very close game. Leeds, I think, were the better team, I think it's fair to say. But um, in the end, that doesn't matter. One iota, and unfortunately, I did not get my lock. So we'll, we end... we'll, give, you, we'll give you some fair credit, mate. You mentioned that. Yeah, it's, um, it, it was your first incorrect wild card of the year, which to say wow. we've got through a full month is is pretty yeah. impressive. Mate. Great so yeah. It was a great, yeah, great run and well done, mate. And I honestly do think that Jesse Marsh does deserve sacking after breaking my record of, <laughs> uh, you know, losing me my perfect wild card record. So that I was in the lead statement. They, Did you not I see think it? that is why they sacked him in the end? I think that was the tipping point. To be quite honest with you, but but there you go. So the scores on the doors after this week, Mister Dawson, you got two out of three. So yeah. well done, a very solid score, Sam. Uh, two out of three also. So very solid score for Mister White. I got two out of three as well. And last and certainly least, uh, Adam, you got zero out of three. Why break the habit of a lifetime? Well, before we started taking note of these, before 2023 started, I was I was doing good at these. And the thing that lets me down, and I'll be honest with you, is I do a lot of research for my first picks. But most of the time, my first picks are gone. I went Manchester United mm. this time but it was taken by uh, Dan, so I couldn't go for Manchester United. I'd got Wolves to beat Liverpool, but that was taken by Sam, so I couldn't go for that for them. The mm. only one that I'd actually gone for as my number one pick was Charlie Austin, and granted, he let me down. But mm. And that's about as good out. a number one overall pick as Ryan Leaf, isn't it, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, was, we'll, we'll move two, on, mate. because... Oh, apologies. <laughs> we'll move, I mean, to be fair, Adam is a bit of a number two when it comes to picking these results. But moving on, we'll move on, moving on. because because excuses are like ourselves, Adam. Everybody's got one, and most of them stink. So we'll move now on to Dawson, uh, who is going to tell us how Dan got on with his listener locking results. Take it away. Yes, Malloy came in hot with his little preparation, but I thought he gave very good reasonings for, for all of his picks, and he managed to get a big one out of six. So, Chris Murray, you are still top of the listener lock-in leaderboard. He got his lock right, which was, as you mentioned there, Adam, Man United to beat Crystal Palace. He had Ivan Tony to score, who had one cleared off the line. To be fair, lads, had one cleared off the line, so he came that close. Uh, he had West Ham to win at Newcastle, which uh, was a draw. So again, he got close. He got close. He had Derby to beat Morecambe 2-0, which, as you mentioned, Kent was a comfortable 5-0 win. He had Everton to draw with Arsenal 1-1, thinking that Sean Dyche would come in and have an effect. So again, he got close. Uh, and he had Man City to uh, beat Tottenham away 3-0. So maybe not so close on that one. But they're the tiny little things that can turn a one out of six into a 
a three, a potential four out of six. That should, you know, you know on another day, if the wind's blowing a different way, that's that's four out of six. So yeah. it is very unfortunate, Dan. You've you've given a very good account to yourself. Unfortunately, the score at the end is still one out of six. So it's probably not any yeah. uh, any any benefit to you. But it'll mean you know, nothing like to say, you. Ivan Tony clearing it off the line, and uh, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. Unfortunately. It is. I, I did reach out to Dan just for a comment on his results and he put that felt like I made some bold decisions. Everton to get a result. Derby got the win even more convincingly than expected. West Ham could have stolen the game. Brentford won 3-0 and like I said there, Tony had one cleared off the line. Ultimately, not unhappy with my picks apart from City versus Spurs. No Conte on the sideline and they looked freed up. Should have read that, but who saw that coming? But yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one. But uh, this week we've got uh, we've got Tina joining us, the man, the myth, the legend that the is Chris man. Marina. Yeah, the also man. a Derby fan. I'm sure, he'll have plenty to say on on their season so far, and there'll be a lot of love for Didzy. I'm sure in uh, in our preview show later in the week, he's also a Bears fan, and he's going to be joining us for some Super Bowl talk as well. So yeah, really looking forward to that. And hearing uh, who he's got prepped, I sent him over his stuff earlier. He's, uh, he's already prepping. He's got the readers on. He's got the the uh, this bedside lamp on ready. I'm sure he's going to come well prepared with the stats and the figures ready for when we break it down later this forward week. To cracking on with with uh, with Tina. Looking forward to it. Okay, in just a few moments' time, we'll be back to review the opening weekend of the 2023 Six Nations. Welcome back to episode 28 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to have a look at the last weekend. Oh, sorry. It's a f- I thought it was NFL. No, no. no best, best, best get used to that. Not talking about NFL after uh, talking about football. Oh, yeah. Same shape ball. This, same shape, same shape ball. <laughs> okay, but, okay. Yeah, you're selling it to me. Get. Yeah, it's <laughs> about as close as you're going to get, to be honest. But anyway, carry on. Sorry, Adam. No, oh, mate, you're all right. Uh, yes, the Six Nations got underway this past weekend. Last week, we spoke about our predictions for who we thought was going to walk away as the winner. Skin, you've got the results. Yeah, so uh, Ireland versus Wales was, or Wales versus Ireland was the game that kicked off this year's Six Nations, and Ireland won comfortably 34 10. I think it was myself uh, and you, Aggie, went with Ireland after uh, Liam's comments on the forum. So it uh, looks like we've got off to a hot start there. We spoke quite a bit about England, Sam mentioning obviously the recent change at the manager position and what impact the, that could have and how they'll sort of look at this tournament ready for the World Cup in September. And lads lost against Scotland, 29-23. Scotland were 3-1, to one, so great pick if we were doing Six Nations wildcards. And yeah... Not the uh, not the best start for them. So yeah, a bit of a uh, bit of a tough one. And then Sunday, the uh, the tournament favourites France got a a close win against Italy. Italy, to be fair, and, and by most accounts, gave a good account of themselves, um, and and pushed France. It it was never really in doubt. I don't think, but yeah, like I said, gave a really good account of themselves. So Ireland currently sit top on five points. Scotland and France also on five points each. There's naturally a lot of games to go, but uh, 
I think at the minute, just based on round one, Aggie, I think we could be onto something with uh, going with Liam and picking Ireland and not taking the uh, well favourites that are France. Well, you, ah, you see, you say that, you say that, but I've just got the the odds for the Six Nations up now, and I don't know if it's because it's changed after the first game and the performances from the first game. Probably. Ireland are now four to seven favourites to I'll win the Six it. Nations. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, Ireland was second yeah. favourites. England, uh, England were third favourites at four to one, and then uh, yeah, France. Were... England have dropped to sixteen to one now. Oh buggers! But yeah, yeah. France were the favourites last week, um, and Liam's comment was that uh, <laughs> it was that uh, what was it? Oh yeah, they just recently won a test series in New Zealand, and any team that can do that can win any tournament anywhere. So me and Aggie liked a bit of that, didn't we, mate? So we we backed Ireland, and yeah, so far so good, but long way to go. Big game next week against France, and we'll talk more about that in the preview show. But that confidence, not only from winning in uh, New Zealand, like you say, then moving on to win so convincingly against Wales, you've got to think that it's going to take something big to uh, to upset them and upset their rhythm, should we say. Oh, I think the disappointing thing, sorry, from, from my perspective, again, I'm not a massive rugby fan, but I'll always obviously want England to do well in, in no matter what we do. Um, from what I saw, and you know, I saw some highlights of the game. Again, not a massive rugby fan, but I think we're going through a bit of a transitionary period at the moment, if I'm not mistaken. Um, changing leadership at England, and I think that that is obviously maybe some teething problems at the moment, and it is a bit of a shame. But you know, fair, fair play to Ireland because again, I did watch the the highlights against uh, against Wales and um, Wales are usually a pretty good rugby team from what I know of my very limited knowledge but Ireland seemed to uh, seem to beat them fairly convincingly I, I, I don't think from what I've seen and what I've heard that it was actually that the game was as as sort of wide as the scoreline suggested in the end but you know f- full credit to Ireland obviously if France did start as tournament favorites they showed they showed enough to become uh, to become favorites so hopefully England can get their act together in the second game but Ireland taking a steady you know steady start and a steady lead in the uh, in the in the tournament favorites list so yeah Kemp you weren't with us um, at the end of last week, so I'm just going to ask for your prediction now. Who do you think? Oh, away here we go. Give him a game. To... Yeah. I've got a game. I've got a game to go on, Anta. To be fair, yeah. um, I am. I am going to say Ireland. <laughs> Funnily enough, uh, yeah, I think you boys are absolutely spot on. Again, I'm not the biggest rugby fan. I'll say it until the cows come home. It is something that when the Six Nations or World Cups on, I do. I do get into it and you know watch it in the pub, and it's a great atmosphere. But what um, do you drink? Bitter. Guinness, obviously, of course, <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, or cheap imitation Guinness, and that's yeah, uh, that's extra just cold. Liam. That's just for Liam. That is no, no. It's an even worse version of Guinness that I'll I'll talk to you about. But yeah, I, I think it's great to watch in the pub. I think it's great with 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 friends. But um, yeah, I think uh, from what I've heard and what I've seen, Ireland are the favourites. I think from what I have heard, Wales have got a few stalwarts in their team that probably need you know. Taking out out in the back guard like you know back garden like uh, old Yeller and and maybe putting out of their misery because I think they might be struggling a little bit. England that transition period. Um, Wales I think they might be going through a bit of a transition as well. Again I apologise if I'm talking shit. So I think <laughs> Ireland for me are it's between Ireland and France and I think from what I've seen Ireland are the favourites. Well, um, whoever wins the game at the weekend then who would assume would go on to win the tournament? But we'll we'll save that one. Yeah, save that for uh, later in the week when we have a look at the preview for week two. In just a few moments' time, we're back to review the first week 
of uh, the Premier League start. Have we got it? I don't know. No idea, mate. I've said it and I'm thinking. We'll be back. I'm after just the ready break at some to point. The first camp. week of the Premier League of Darts. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome back to episode 28 of Loaded Sport. Now, last Thursday. The Premier League got underway in the world of darts and we all put our predictions in to see who we thought was going to walk out as the 2023 winner. Lo and behold, Sam goes one ahead of all of us by predicting Chris Doby. So, Skin, tell us your thoughts because it was your guy beating the final. Oh, mate, what a, what a night for Chris Doby. What a week for Chris Doby. On the on the Sunday, so just over a week ago, he won the Masters, his first TV title, his first major title. Um, later on in the week, his beloved Newcastle got to their first cup final since 1998, or 99, should I say. Um, and then Thursday night, he wins Premier League night one in his full tournament debut, meet, beating MVG in the final and then walking away with a solid 10k for a night's work. So, I'll tell you what, lads, have you ever... That, no, have you ever had a five-day run as good as that? I haven't. Nope. Close to, but not quite. <laughs> Close I won't to, tell but you what quite. I did. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll save that for when we finish save recording, it, but save, uh, it. save it for the summer when we've uh, no sport to talk about. But, um, yeah, what a night for the lad. He, he's it form at the right time. Yes, it is only one night, but what a way to show that that Masters wasn't a fluke or a one-off. He, he beat um, Peter Wright along the way. He beat Nathan Aspinall in the semis, and then he beat MVG in the final. What more can you say? So, yeah, um, in terms of our predictions, Sam gets the very early lead with me in a close second picking MVG. So, yeah, what an night for Sam. What an night for Dobie. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to uh, week two coming up this Thursday, but we'll get stuck into that. Uh... Yeah, other than Chris Dobie, there were a couple of uh, other performances that you took a look at and thought, I mean, I know before we even started, you mentioned about uh, Dimitri and potentially his questionable appearance Ugh. in the Premier League walked out 6-2 winner against Johnny Clayton yeah that's... I'll, I'll, I, it's it's a horrible thing for me to say but I don't feel like I'll ever have a good thing to say about him because he just annoys me like I said last week like it's just one of those things but yeah he, he had a good start yeah <laughs> absolutely that he had a good start against Clayton who who was who won the tournament two years ago so it's not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination but yeah it's just it's one of those things I can't get uh, excited about. But look, any of these players can win any of the weeks and, and any of the fixtures that they've got. I asked, uh, sorry, Sam, I asked Kemp the question a couple of weeks ago about Phil Taylor in his prime, stick him in today's game and how would he do? And it, it's consistent. There's a lot of talent across the board. The, the level is so high that there's not any one of these players that don't, it's not that they don't deserve to be in. There's just a lot of players that also deserve to be in, but there's only eight spots. So, yeah, it's going to be a very, very competitive tournament. And like I said, I've, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if every single player at some point wins one of the nights. So, yeah, it should be great to see. And there's some really good quarterfinal fixtures coming up this week. So it'll be interesting to see who wins week two. I think that's why the Premier League for me is, is 
it's not my favourite format because you know my my favourite watching darts the favourite thing to watch is the world championships of course it is that's the big one that everybody wants to win but you know the reason that the 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 Premier League is my favourite second favourite um, way of watching darts is because of exactly what you've just said you know it's not you know number three hundred in the world who who managed to who's had a, a few good games and he's made it through to the world championships and now he's playing Van Gerwen and you know he's going to get stuffed you know let's just celebrate if he wins a leg, um but it's 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 the eight like you say the best players in the world at this moment in time all going toe to toe, they're all very very close in terms of the standard it's the highest standard of darts. Anybody can win on any given night. It's a lot of it is about form. That's why I chose Gerwin Price because I think he's a he's a form player. Um, but yeah, it's like you say. I, I completely agree. I think every single week we're going to get a different winner. So it's exciting, and we'll uh, we'll see where we are at the end of it. Yeah, well, uh, lads, that is all we've got time for this week. Thanks a lot for joining to discuss the review of the weekend. On Thursday, we will be back. On Friday, should I say, we will be back to discuss um, the Super Bowl. It is Super Bowl week. Uh... <laughs> Why is the one quitting me off? Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>